1: Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the New Books Network broadcast and New Books in Eastern European Studies. I'm your host, Stephen Siegel, and today my guest is Victoria Schmidt, who is the author with Nadia Jaworski of a new book called Historicizing Roma in Central Europe Between Critical Whiteness and Epistemic Injustice, published by Routledge in 2021. Thanks so much, uh, Vika, for joining me today on the podcast.
2: Thank you for inviting and thank you for, yeah, giving all this preparation work for me and Nadia. Thank you.
1: So uh, unfortunately, due to COVID, Nadia can't be with us today as the co-author of the book. But uh, we'll be talking with Dr. Schmidt, and I wanted to introduce both of them formally and their bios. So first, Victoria Schmidt brings together the issue of historical roots of segregation with the legacy of colonial and socialist policies in Central Eastern European countries. Dr. Schmidt started her academic career in Russia and this period formed part of her broader interest to the historical roots of ongoing institutional violence against diverse disfranchised groups. In 2008, uh, Dr. Schmidt transferred to Masaryk University in Brno, Czech Republic, and began to elaborate on the issue of institutional violence against the Roma and people with disabilities in the Czech land. And this led her to develop the approaches in the book towards race science and racial thinking as agents and structures of nation building. Since 2019, Dr. Schmidt leads the project, Race Science, Undiscovered Power of Building the Nations at the University of Graz. Uh, and our co-author, uh, who is here um, today, but silently, Nadia Jaworski, is an associate professor of sociology at Masaryk University in Verno in the Czech Republic, and a faculty fellow at Yale University's Center for Cultural Sociology. Dr. Yavorsky is a cultural sociologist in the tradition of the STRONG program, focusing on the meaning making process in her research and on international migration. She received her BA from Wellesley College and her MA, MPhil, and PhD from Yale. And a recent book for, uh, by Dr. Yavorsky, together with Carlo Tognato and Jeffrey C. Alexander as editors, published by Palgrave 2020, is called The Courage for Civil Repair. Narrating the Righteous in International Migration. Uh, And finally, as a sociologist, Dr. Yavorsky uh, is focusing on cultural sociological analysis and the reconstruction of public issues such as perceptions of migration and the sociology of conspiracy theories. So I want to talk about the book here at hand at New Books Network, and that is Historicizing Roma in Central Europe. So my first question is the usual question. What motivated you, Victoria, to write the book?
2: Um, I suppose, first of all, it was um, our experience. I mean, uh, my experience and Nadia's experience uh, living in the Czech Republic as foreigners. And yeah, uh, when you arrive first time, so... Uh, it's very difficult to understand uh, why Roma remained to be so oppressed, why they continue to be seen as the biggest minority in the Czech Republic. And despite all these talks and despite a lot of efforts from the side of many groups, uh, Roma remain to face a lot of problems in solving Ordinary issues, so such as housing, education for their children, or um, getting citizenship. So, and it's really it's a kind of puzzle for the people who were not born in the Czech Republic, I suppose. And yeah, and many times I heard when uh, I started to work on this problem, and when we share, it's Nadia our experience. Um, she had very familiar experience. So we will ask by Czech colleagues um, how do we understand the reasons, the grounds of this long degree of segregation against Roma? So I suppose it was kind of challenge.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and
2: we would like to accept this challenge and we would like <laughs> to introduce new lenses for um, useful and probably uh, potentially acceptable uh, for our colleagues, for us, for our Roma students, because both of us uh, teach Roma students and we yeah, mm-hmm. have very good experience with Roma students. Mm-hmm. So we, it was one of the reasons. And naturally, the second reason was um very <laughs> formal reason because it was a quite good topic for developing our competences and developing our careers, I suppose, despite all these challenges. And... Um, Probably, precisely, I was starting to think in, to think about this book in um, 2015 uh, when I was informed that I got uh, the uh, fellowship for developing a project regarding people with disabilities in Roma in the Czech Republic, and the very same day, I watched a documentary and it was a very interesting film. Uh, titled Suppressed Letters. And yes. this film, yeah, probably. It's a great film. It's a great film. And the story about the teacher who was very well accepted and until now continue to be accepted very well in the Czech Republic. And uh, also, in order to help his Roma students uh, to be assimilated, he was hidden the letters. Uh, which were written by their parents and which were written by the children to their parents. So it was uh, Miroslav uh, Dedic. Um, And also, naturally, not only this form of violence or oppression, but other forms of violence and oppressions accompanied his methods uh, aimed at helping Roma children be assimilated. Mm -hmm. So this film uh, was a kind of... uh, Red line for the Czech society, and after uh, first uh, time, uh, many people were divided in the Czech Republic into two groups. Uh, the very, I suppose, the majority of people accepted this film as a kind of insulting event mm-hmm. against the hero of um, education, against uh, the prestige of Czech education, and against the history of all these efforts made by the Czech educators in favor of the Roma children. But the other part, um, and many of uh, those who view in this minority, <laughs> sociologists and um, uh, thinkers who would like to understand this ambiguity of uh, the Roma situation in the Czech Republic, they try to stress... The necessity to indicate boundaries between mm. historical um, reasons for such practices as Dedic introduced and uh, yeah. current situation. So it was yeah, it was really great film, and also it was great film because all these events were presented through the eyes of uh, young girl, so the mm-hmm. granddaughter of this Roma grand parents who experienced it exposed this um quite complicated situation she presented this case so yeah it was very unusual yeah. i suppose event and yeah and i uh, mm-hmm, yeah please. yeah no I have,
1: a, I have a lot i have a lot of questions for you um and i mean given your work in disability studies i i, I hope i wonder if we could come come back to that Okay. Um, but i i wanted i wanted to ask actually about the intersection in the book with um, mm-hmm. with whiteness with whiteness and critical whiteness studies. And in particular, since we're talking about the Czech Republic, um, how you begin to talk about this issue of assimilation and, and whiteness studies. So how, wh- how is it that you're understanding whiteness or critical whiteness studies in the book as, as an issue, um, both as a methodology and, and let's say as, as a form of, of justice or injustice?
2: Yeah, because uh, from the very beginning, the question was, uh, should we focus on whiteness or racism? And why whiteness uh, become a kind of more interesting methodological framework for us than racism, directly working with overt racism or obscure racism. And the choice in favor of whiteness uh, was because of uh, double status of whiteness, I suppose, for us, uh, who are not Roma. And majority of the researchers who work with the issue of Roma, um, they are not Roma. And naturally, whiteness, I Mm. suppose, is a kind of premises. So we need to work with our own whiteness. And I'm afraid that it's impossible to eliminate our whiteness because, uh, first of all, whiteness operates as a kind of uh, signifier for racial hierarchies and whiteness indicates the double status for everybody in this racial hierarchies because for some groups and for somebody we are whiter but for other groups we are not so white so it's this mm-hmm. ambiguity in our own status and it's a, i think that it's a very good point it's a very good internal challenge for our professional our research reflection but also there is a second side of whiteness it's our culture our Identity, our belonging to this Western culture, white culture. How we apply our Western methodologies uh, for <laughs> destructing yeah. whiteness, white methodologies for working with whiteness. So that uh, it was very tricky, but I suppose it was one of the main things and main reasons to choose whiteness, not racism. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the very beginning. Um, you know that the book is uh, divided into two parts. The first part um, aims to present uh, the role of attempts to reject whiteness, to eliminate whiteness, to exclude whiteness from discursive practices uh, mm-hmm. in two different levels. In the level of uh, our routine, so TV programs, so um, cultural events and the second level is academic level how whiteness and how the idea or how the hope to eliminate whiteness to exclude whiteness operates and the level of um, academic discourses and research agenda so it was uh, and at the very beginning the idea was to focus only on this section so the book should be quite short
1: yeah yeah,
2: yeah and <laughs> and,
1: and, it's, uh, and it's eight 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 chapters right with the two parts
2: and yeah. now it's two parts uh, chapters and the second part is much uh, bigger than the first I see but that. uh yeah but i suppose in terms of justice in terms of historical justice and our own responsibility if we started criticizing the approaches of others we need to provide our own approach and open our own approach for debates and discussions so it was a yeah s- yeah yeah idea.
1: i and and I'm, I'm really intrigued um vika and i have to say this as a historian um how you introduce positionality throughout the book and historians are notoriously bad at this um anthropologists and sociologists a little bit better uh maybe but i i i guess i have to ask this question because you have sources and many of your sources are are in German and Czech or German and Czech and Slovak. Um, How did you go about gathering your materials for the book? And and let me just add a kind of footnote question to that. How academic are these materials when we're talking about epistemic qualities or epistemic quandaries and and problems of, of injustice? So first is a question about your, you know, Kvelin critique, what are the sources? And then how academic are they in dealing with whiteness and Roma history?
2: As for the second part, I suppose it was quite easy for us to indicate the main strategies to collect materials because we were interested uh, in answering to the question why so many parts of this history regarding the participation of scholars in establishing whiteness uh, remain to be unknown. Because really, if you read um, contemporary or very recent books related to the segregation or anti-Semitism and other issues uh, very typical of this region, you could find a lot of references related to the very positive feedback about um, eugenicists and anthropologists who work in this region. And I was interested why uh, my colleagues, for instance, um, do not pay attention for obvious impact of the scholars on segregation, on Mm -hmm. legitimizing the various practices. So the very first idea was to go to the archives of the former institutes of anthropology. And there were a lot of such institutes, for instance, in Ljubljana, in Mm -hmm. Brno, in Prague. And first of all, uh, we worked with the collection, with the personal collection Presented in these archives, also I should so I should well, say that many of these collections remain to be unsorted, but we mm-hmm. yeah we have never faced any problems with getting the access. So the people who work in these institutes, who are those who, um, who we accept as the successors of uh, the scholars, they are extremely open. They are interested. In our discovery. So it was not only working at the archive. So also Mm -hmm. it was a kind of exchange with uh, the successors of the scholars. It was very informal discussions, uh, very fruitful for developing the arguments for our book and mm-hmm. also in two archives in Prague and Ljubljana, uh, we work directly in basements. <laughs> so because mm-hmm, part of right. uh, the collections, uh, yeah, That's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I suppose it's probably it's possible to develop a kind of um, yeah film documentary film <laughs> about yes. how to work at the archives. So it was the first, and naturally, um, it was possible for us uh, to develop and apply such method as a. Uh, sociological or social biography because uh, the second part of the book uh, the reader could find uh, very interesting i suppose interesting not only for us but for the readers too biographies of the scholars german scholars czech scholars Uh, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so we would like to explain how did the scholars become those who legitimized violence structural violence against roma Mm-hmm. For instance, František Stampach or Robert Ritter, Eva Estino, Helena Mala. So it was the main idea.
1: Yeah. Uh, could could you could you talk about them a little bit? I, I I don't think our listeners will be familiar with with a lot of the scholars. And when we're talking I mean, maybe they will, maybe they won't, but when we're talking about the interwar period, which is definitely, you know, your expertise, who who were some of these um scholars in eugenicist discourses and uh, I, I'm really interested in this for the Czech case, obviously, but maybe you could you could introduce um, a few of the names and scholars.
2: Yeah, as for the interval period, it's uh, very important to indicate uh, the role, the specific role of the Czech scholars in developing the racialized view on Roma, and probably, yeah, the title of the book is the central Europe, but a major part of the information stems from the Czech sources, but I suppose because of the very special role of the Czech scholars uh, who started uh, developing their own view, racialized view on Roma uh, during the interval period, and naturally the very famous name is the Franciszek Stampach. He was not a professional anthropologist, he was an educator, Uh, And it's very interesting that it's very compatible with Robert Ritter, the German Mm -hmm. very famous uh, anthropologist who also uh, was not professional anthropologist, but was um, child psychiatrist. So both of them uh, were involved in the practices with children, uh, I could say in conflict with law, in contemporary politically correct uh, words. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. um, also they were very um, interested in... Their academic career. And I suppose the choice of the uh, gypsy issue was one of the decisions for them to advance their position in this academic mm-hmm. hierarchy. So, and it's very visible. Um, in their biographies, how did they uh, work with this issue in order to advance their position. So, uh, for instance, mm-hmm. also uh, we work with the personal archives of very famous scholars, uh, like uh, Inge uh, who was the supervisor of František Stampach, and in his personal correspondence, very indicated a lot of letters from Franciszek Stampach with this push that we need to develop the gypsy issue because it should be very important in a couple of years and it's interesting because Stampach started developing this argument before the law about um, vagabonds uh, in 1927 was issued so yeah it was a kind of okay Mm -hmm. (laughs) academic readiness of non-academic and this feeling that it would be the topic very possible, very um, Mm
0: -hmm. successful
2: for developing his career. But it was in the war period. As for the um, period after 1945, I suppose uh, it would be a little bit different story. And directly, the second part of the book develops the argument regarding the role of the anthropologist and eugenicist uh, in terms of the layering and convulsion how did they develop previous practices in order to, yeah. And this uh, after war period, it was a period of uh, very intensive development of inter-country networking. And uh, first of all, it was the cooperation between Yugoslavian and Czech scholars. Uh, And after that, when they established this informal cooperation because of their informal friendship, because of their, uh, common resistance against the and naturally, the colleagues were much luckier than yeah. Czech colleagues in terms of uh, keeping the access to gen- genetics and other Western uh, trends, uh, which were, yeah, a kind of, uh, yeah, forbid- forbidden fruit for the Czech scholars for five, yeah. ten years, and yeah, it was oh, a little bit different story because. Very soon, this intercountry networking were embedded into global agenda regarding the assimilation. Yeah, so it was the next step. It was the next stage of conversion, The argument developed by the scholars in Central Europe in favor of advancing global agenda. I am that um, mm-hmm. providing mm-hmm. agreements in favor of assimilation, adaptation, and so mm-hmm.
1: on. Could Could you talk a little bit about? These sort of liberal racial assimilation projects, and and I'm especially interested in racially minded scholars, as you put it, from peripheral Europe. So there are these international or maybe even transnational organizations in in the interwar period. Um, and then, you know, there seems to be this, this intrusion, and correct me if I'm wrong, of, of Soviet almost pseudoscience and, and pseudoscientific dogmatism. But I, I guess what binds them together is this assimilationism or racial assimilationism. And, and I guess I wonder if you could explain that, if that's, as you put it, an epistemic issue or an epistemic continuity um, mm-hmm. from the from the interwar to the post to the postwar period.
2: I suppose the main often uh, which we need to indicate for understanding this continuity is uh, the shift from very positive attitude to racial intermixture typical of the scholars in this peripheral region of the world to very global idea regarding to negative consequences of uh, self isolation among different race groups. So um, we could say that the scholars uh, of Central Europe were lucky because they started very soon before many others to develop this argument in favor of seeing on self-isolation as a very negative uh, mm-hmm. practice. Uh, and yeah, the main difference between the German view on Roma and uh, German of Explanation of Roma inferiority provided by the German scholars uh, because of uh, racial intermixture of Roma, and for the scholars from Central Europe it was vice versa. It was a mm-hmm. lack of racial inter- intermixture. Until now, when I uh, started sharing my very positive experience of working with Roma students, the first question which I heard from the side of my uh, Czech colleagues, is uh, but probably it's he's not 100 Roma. Probably he's mixed. He's from mixed family. <laughs> so it's mm-hmm, a very common, mm-hmm. very well disseminated idea that the lack of um, intermixture is the main problem for the Roma. And yeah, until now this idea in genetics in um, physical anthropology um, play plays very important role. And I suppose so historically. It was this specific uh, configuration of factors uh-huh. which made Central European anthropologists not peripheral, but main experts in Roma questions. So I, I could say that between the 60s and 80s, Czech and Yugoslavian anthropologists were these kind of world leaders in understanding the gypsy question. So they even the habit of being invited for different uh, international events to present uh, their view on Roma, their comparative research among uh, Roma children and Roma families. And even mm-hmm. after 1989, um, they continued to wait such invitation. And when they were invited, uh, first of all, they offered this topic is a very representative topic for the progress of the physical anthropology
0: or genetics in the Sredians, so yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail—from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com/system, all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
1: Yeah, and and so how do you see the Nazi legacy? This is a really big question. But I mean, the, you know, when we're talking about essentialism and, and othering and alterity, indifference, um, there are a lot of words that you can use. But what what then happens... Let's say after um, 1945. So when when we're in you know the world of post genocidal memory and the reinstitutionalization institutionalization of, of race science and anthropology, what what sort of effects do the years of the, the Third Reich and racial hygiene and Aryanization have on the establishments and, and these people as you're talking about who are building their careers in the post war years?
2: I suppose uh, those who work in this field very well informed that German scholars who were involved in legitimizing their uh, academic argument in favor of extermination of Roma, they did not have any consequences. So they continued their career without any problems. So they even more some of German scholars uh, were in close cooperation with international organizations and even more um, in their archives of uh, anthropological institutes. We found some letters uh, which uh, were written by German scholars to their Czech colleagues. So I suppose it was a kind of um, process mm-hmm. to replacing the idea that the scholars were responsible for something. Said this argument... Uh, play mm-hmm. any significant role. It was the one line of um, yeah, understanding the legacy of forgetting or the legacy of replacing uh,
0: mm-hmm.
2: these uh, historical events. And the second line, naturally, uh, was uh, keeping the idea that Roma continue to be inferior because they're still not assimilated. So in our book, between the, I suppose it's chapter six and chapter seven, it's very possible to find this connection, how the idea of inferiority was transformed in favor of new construction, in favor of new frameworks. So, yeah, and that was the second one. And the third one was a very um, specific influence of uh, Soviet experience because uh, during the first decade of uh, socialism, naturally, the Soviet politics regarding Roma was accepted uh, in many of the countries in Yugoslavia, Hungary, and uh, Czechoslovakia. And it was, uh, in the Soviet Union, it was constructed uh, in direct comparison with uh, politics regarding African Americans in the United States. That so, was my
1: so- next question. Yeah, Go
2: ahead. <laughs> oh, Sorry. But really, <laughs> Go ahead. So- yeah, Soviet propaganda... Um, promoted the idea that uh, Roma, our African-Americans, our negros, so we could say, but it's not politically correct, they deserved, they have deserved better future, and we uh, are able to provide better conditions for them in order to mm-hmm. their assimilation. And it was the opposite wave from the anti-Soviet propaganda. And uh, I discussed this issue, the struggle of propaganda, Soviet and anti-Soviet propaganda, in the previous book. It was a chapter, this book about yeah. the uh, disability politics in uh, in the foreign socialist Ch- Czechoslovakia.
1: 2019, Amsterdam University Press. Quick plug. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah,
2: thank you. So, yeah, so I suppose that if you would like to focus on the legacy of Nazism and racial hygiene and racialized view developed by German anthropologists, it's a very complicated question, despite many uh, good Think right. that it's enough just to reject it, to eliminate it, to label mm-hmm. this praxis and anti human. But no, it's not enough because many of the traces, many of the echoes we could hear now without any problems. For instance, very fresh example is the uh, dissemination of the idea by Rushton, this Canadian uh, scholar, with his idea about uh, different strategies uh, typical of white and not wide populations uh, in terms of the reproduction. So when quantity was opposed to quality, and one of strategies, AIR strategy, was seen as a strategy aimed at improving quantity and uh,
1: mm-hmm.
2: advancing the population yeah, in this way. And car strategy is a strategy for more advanced, more progressive groups and this idea, which was applied by Raskin to African Americans, was adopted by many scholars in Hungary um, and Yugoslavia. Yeah. From Yugoslavia, and not by scholars, but very popular also in Czechoslovakia, on Czech Republic and mm-hmm. Slovakia. And it was a kind of the network. Really, we could observe that uh, they reference each other. They um, yeah, continue yeah. exchanging I... the results.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm really curious about that, um, Vika. And I, I have to ask you, because it, when we're into the period of the 1960s and the 1970s, um, into the world of, of new research frameworks and, and agendas and Central European scholars are becoming experts on the so-called gypsy issue, and I put quotes around that. I, I wonder if you could give us an, an idea of how then the new sort of um, civil rights issues involving African-Americans, but also human rights issues in the 1970s, you know, the Helsinki 1975, Charter 77 and so forth. How, I mean, how do the scholars who are recognized in Central Europe and Southeastern Europe as experts, people like Yaroslav Suki or Helena Mala, what, what, I mean, what do they do with the history of, of Roma Peoples are, are they essentializing? Are they moving it toward public health and, and demography? I mean, what what happens to this old sort of um, racial science and, and maybe even racial history? Rassengeschichte. What what are these experts doing in the '60s and '70s as as experts on the so-called Gypsy issue?
2: Well, it's quite provocative question because I suppose that it's... <laughs> It's a big temptation to say that they did not pay attention, but I suppose they were in touch, for instance, with uh, Milena Hjopshmanova, naturally. There are letters. uh, It it was an exchange of letters uh, between Helena Mahler and um, Hjopshmanova, who was uh, one of the pioneers in reconstructing Roma language, Roma culture, introducing uh, new... Practices is uh, targeted with uh, respecting Roma as an ethnic group in Czechoslovakia. But I suppose, naturally, it was not uh, a kind of ignoring this issue, but also the scholars uh, developed their argument in favor of uh, segregating Roma. Because from the very beginning, I mean, in the end of the 60s, the main idea of Suhi and Mala was uh, that only very short period uh, children from Roma families should be placed in the institutions. And after that, it would be possible for That's them right. to back. But right. in the 70s, the argument changed. Mm-hmm. And I suppose it was also pressure of this new... A uh, global agenda uh, which started developed in the second half of the 60s, and this global agenda aimed to provide new eugenic um, measures against those uh, inferior groups. And naturally, anthropologists were in very vulnerable position, they continued to struggle for their place in academia. And probably mm-hmm. they were not so strong as some of the geneticists who were able to resist uh, mm-hmm. this, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And oppression. Do you, do you
1: think the focus on children and youth is part of a larger focus on on education, or, or as you call it, ineducability? This this, this stigmatization and maybe even d de- dehistoricizing of Roma, I mean, how do you make that connection, especially for this period that we're talking about 60s, 70s and, and beyond? Yeah,
2: thank you for this question, because I suppose this focus of the use was or uh, stemmed from the general global idea of developing or obtaining a new position for these former inferior groups. And uh, educability was one of the main questions. And, uh, the second source of uh, information for us were the archives, which the house uh, uh, materials collected by centers for retraining teachers and retraining mm-hmm. social workers. And it was very interesting because in Czechoslovakia, there were two different centers. Uh, one in the southern part one in the northern part and both of the centres were led by um, two very famous educators, uh, Dedic and Stepan and both of these educators uh, uh, traced this global agenda they were in direct uh, communication with Suhi and Mala and they were in direct communication with Yugoslavian colleagues and it's possible to find the materials of global congresses or conferences and it's very visible that they translated these ideas to uh usual teachers, usual social workers. So it was a very uh, it, it was a way of uh, adapting these global trends in favor of all national politics. So I suppose it was uh, kind of um, yeah, yeah, yeah history of adaptation. Right. <laughs> <And> that, right. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And, and I guess, could you talk a little about the Eurocentrism of that? I mean, it's not it's not even white, you know, we're, it's not just racism. I think you're actually correct in pointing to a sort of European or Eurocentric or white Eurocentric epistemology. I mean, is, that, is that reflected in the sources and, and also I would say in the cultural sources that you're gathering? Because, you know, you begin talking about um, some of these films like uh, in, the, in the 80s and, and beyond. So how, how do you, I mean, how do you see that
2: issue? I suppose as for the responses for the possibility to indicate any alternatives to this uh, yeah power of whiteness, uh, what we recognized, it was some reports from the side of teachers who worked with Roma, and we recognized in the archive in Trebon. And in these reports, uh, uh, it was very horrible uh, that these teachers are not sure that Roma children need to be whitened. So, yeah, the main idea was that it's against their identity, that it's a very difficult task for the teachers to put together the identity of um, typical of our European values and the identity of. Uh, yeah, provided by Roma families. And very good example is that uh, what is more important, child being or child becoming? Why we, it was in one of the reports that why we are so focused on the progress of our children, we are not so focused on their happy childhood. <laughs> so, and mm-hmm. Roma right. children have have uh, happier childhood than many of the Czech children because, yeah, their parents love them love without Mm -hmm. any conditions. So it's interesting because I suppose that those who were in direct communication with Roma social workers, educators, they faced this uh, conflict, internal conflict. And also I could say that they were very limited in the opportunities to discuss it, to reflect it, to find alternative ways. So it's another part of the story, I suppose. We could not say it was a kind of traumatization, but I suppose it was a big frustration for many of the educators, for many generations of educators in Central Europe. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and do you see there any role for international organizations? I mean, you know, UN, um, if we're talking about, demography, population in the, in the 80s and 90s. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I guess I'm interested in my question in the intersection between this sort of revised nationalism or renewed renewed nation statism of the of the 80s. Um, it, I mean, do you see international organizations getting involved with so-called gypsy issue as, as a rights issue? Are they you know, delving deep into the agency of of Romani um, populations, intellectuals, issues of these larger issues of of educability. Um, Is there a role for the international community or are you mainly focusing on on the national sort of context for these scholars?
2: Um, I suppose uh, during the interval period, uh, the gypsy issue stopped to be the issue of national agenda at all. So, even in the late 20s, it was the issue of international organization who were responsible for um, safety and security. But naturally, after 1945, uh, it was the issue of educability, it was the issue of uh, civilians over Unreliable groups uh, and Mm -hmm. their natality strategies and their reproduction strategies. And yeah, we could say that the idea of this uh, developmental idealism, yeah, that uh, there is a very typical family with one or two children able to provide good education and uh, other social goods for their children. And we should uh, advance Mm -hmm. this ideal for each of the country, despite of uh, cultural differences and so on. It was very international concern in seventy. 70s. So, yeah. And naturally, it mm-hmm. was an opportunity for the scholars in Central Europe to be embedded in this global agenda and to yeah, feel them more secure. It was right. one of the ways, yes, yeah, so to, yeah, to save I, I, their I, career.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I guess that's sort of my question, you know, because... There are humanitarians who are anti-racist, but they're also reproducing a lot of these white supremacist discourses. And I, I think your your book actually um, get is, is interesting, you know, in that sense because when you're talking about the the scholarship, and, and that's my next question for you. In the beyond the '80s, um, you know, what do you see reflected in in what people are writing about? Uh, both as a history of the Romani people in the 20th century, are they actually allowing Roma voices? I mean, or are they just talking about the discourse that international experts and in academics have have produced about racism and anti-racism? How how do you read that going going through the historiography and the scholarship?
2: Um, I suppose, yeah. If we observe very strong continuity in reproducing racialized view on Roma, with uh, adding new and new arguments in favor of this racialized view on Roma as self-isolated group, uh, on the other side, we could observe a lot of ruptures, historical ruptures in the attempts to provide these Romani voices. So yeah, it was started in the 50s, uh, all these attempts uh, to collect uh, Roma text mm-hmm. and uh, advanced Roma language and uh, present Roma as those who are able to develop their own culture. So
1: mm-hmm.
2: it was started in the 50s and then 60s, it was a part of the compromise between Roma elites and socialist authorities, uh, when Roma people started to develop their agenda as a part of this uh, national agenda in the 60s. Yeah. So, because we could see that uh, the Czech Spring, Mm. the Prague Spring was a kind of uh, new movement for this national reborn. Yeah, that's it's my mm-hmm. view on this period. And naturally for the Roma people it was a unique opportunity to advance their own agenda as a part of the new national movement. And Celia Donard presented in her book precisely this view. Yeah, that mm-hmm. it was a moment of uh,
1: yeah, talk about mean, that, please. The agenda.
2: <laughs> no, I mean, really, it's, it's an important
1: argument, and I think you but, have an argument I, with... But with... I
2: suppose it was a kind, in, uh, in the very recently published book uh, by my Czech colleagues, Helena Sadilkova, Dusan Slachka, and Milena Zavodská about the union of uh, Roma people, it was the idea that probably uh, this attempt uh, had so many risks and so many limits that Roma people were unable to cope were unable to accept because, first of all, the main um, consequence was the rupture between Roma elites and ordinary Roma. Many of ordinary Roma had totally different issues with their national identity. They struggled for their houses um, in Slovakia because they were removed to the Czech part of the country and they would like to go back and it was impossible for them because they lost their right to their houses and uh, there are a lot of uh, cases, I mean legal cases of Roma people in Slovakia against local authorities and it was their struggle for their rights That's and their justice and it's a totally different story than the story presented in the book by Cilia Donard, so it was one of the consequences, yeah. and also it was discussed in the book by Helena Sedilkova and her colleagues. And the second, and uh, for me it was one of the major consequences of this attempt to be part of this national movement, uh, it was the idea to develop, to build Roma identity uh, aligned with the identity of other nations. So even we have so critical view on nationalism and all the shadows of nationalism, we should think that how destructive this idea could be for Mm -hmm. the ethnic groups like Roma, so for Mm -hmm. their collective Mm -hmm. identity. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting because it was not kind of uh, struggling for citizenship. It was a kind of struggling for their national identity. And they faced all consequences of this attempt. So I suppose it was. Yeah. Crisis. could, could
1: and, and Vika, could you, um, really, this is a larger question. If you could talk maybe about your dialogue and conversation with with colleagues, I think our audience here at New Books Network will be very interested in books or people that you might suggest um, to read more on this topic. And and I, I know this in sort of coming where I am in, in San Diego, as a, as a U.S. historian, or at least in the U.S., There, there there's some really sort of easy and maybe facile equivalents um, of placing Black, Romani, and Indigenous together while, of course, reproducing a lot of the stereotypes and a lot of the problems um, within whiteness studies. So, I mean, you you talk in your work about the colorblindness of eliminativism and, and the sort of epistemic trap of liberal values. So could you, could you suggest maybe some names and people, authors, books that, that our audience might follow?
2: I would be happy because I'm very optimistic with the new generation. And the, uh, the trace a uh, developed by Vita Zalar, uh, who welcome Lublana, And Andre Bilak, uh, he's a Slovak scholar. And I suppose uh, now he is working on the issue and the consequences of this COVID pandemic for the Roma population in different European countries. And naturally, my colleague uh, in Czech Republic, Jana Abrovska, who develops uh, a lot of um, research dedicated to a new view on educability of Roma and the role of the new inclusive practices uh, and limits and options of inclusive practices for the Roma, and I would like to stress, and I would like to, um, yeah, attract attention to the ERC grant uh, oh. dedicated to the uh, Roma civic emancipation between the two world wars, and this grant uh, is led by Yelena Moroshyakova. And mm-hmm. to recent outputs of this project, it's a special issue of social inclusion uh, dedicated to the Gypsy policy and Roma activism from the interwar period to contemporary issues and their book Roma Voices in History is a source book with a direct um, text prepared by Roma in different times in different countries so I suppose these two outputs of these projects uh, are very promising in terms of uh, introducing Mm -hmm. Roma voices to the historiography of Roma in Central Europe um
1: Coming out in March, right? I mean, it's coming out with Brill, I think, the source book that you mentioned.
2: Yeah, (laughs) exactly. But uh, both tech, I mean, both... this book and this uh, special issue are open access. So right now it's, it's possible to read. So it's amazing. Yeah. People who are interested in this uh, problem, they could do it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and naturally, I suppose one of the very promising directions probably go beyond the boundaries of central Europe and probably to develop uh, some comparative historiographic researches between central Europe and Latin America. And for instance, Martin Fotam was mm-hmm. originally Czech, ethnologist, he develops also um, the Roma issue in Brasilia. So yeah, I, I like right. reading his text. So yeah. Um, yeah. Great,
1: great, great. Thank you. Yeah. Um. So with, since we're kind of ra- running out of time, I, I'm going to ask you to speak for Nadia again, um, <laughs> if you may, if you can, and talk a little bit uh, for our audience about your current research projects. I, I know that um, Nadia has had this book that came out with Palgrave, The Courage for Civil Repair, and she's interested in migration. Um, mm-hmm. And you, you have all of your um, excellent work on, on disability studies and, you know, critical disability studies in the interwar period. So could, could you talk a little bit about um, your current interests, what, what you're working on with your grants oh. and maybe Nadia's work as well?
2: Yeah, currently, uh, together with Professor Karl Kassel, we work on the book about health films produced in uh, Central Europe during the interwar period. And I suppose it's very uh, timely book uh, in terms of the contemporary situation because it would be about propaganda and regimes of authenticity and the role of um, yeah, cultural reflections of building the regimes of authenticity and Peripheral parts of uh, Czechoslovakia, Yugoslavia mainly. So, yeah, and we're very excited uh, by this project because uh, it was possible to work during this uh, difficult period. It was possible to collect materials about films, and uh, yeah,
0: uh-huh. and
2: that's an really interesting point uh, because naturally, in many of the films, uh, Rome were presented uh, as a kind of risks for yeah, career in mm-hmm. diseases and so on. It would be a little bit different view on mm-hmm. yeah, objectifying Roma in mass culture. So yeah, it's a very current project. Naturally, I'm not limited by only one project. So it's impossible for us now to, to focus only one topic or one project. And the second one is uh, race science. And I try to develop uh, some new ideas regarding The new actors who were involved in the debates uh, regarding race, science, racism, and probably to extend the issue of resistance to racialized view and Mm -hmm. dissemination of racialized view, because yeah, we I suppose right now we need to focus on the positive historical experience too.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I'd like to ask you if I may, since I do want to talk public policy, do you, do you see your role in, in either in the Czech Republic or, or Austria or a larger um, context? I, I mean, I, this is a hard question because, you know, in, in talking about the cases, uh, as you mentioned, juridical rights is a huge issue um, or educational rights for Roma um, migrancy versus sedentar- sedentarization, what what would be your role, let's say, as a public policy person and as an advocate in many ways as an ally uh, for Roma issues in the future?
2: Um, probably, you know, that the main strategy of uh, working in favor of Roma rights uh, is Strategic litigation, so many of the cases are presented by the strategy regarding housing education or forced sterilization and very reason to attempt to advance a new law aimed at uh, raping Roma women who were sterilized during the socialist period and uh, first years after 1989. (sighs) So, but I'm not comfortable with the priority of this strategy because I suppose if we watch, uh, if we observe the situation in Canada or Australia, uh, which have very compatible practices regarding indigenous population, we could recognize that strategic litigation is not enough. Yeah, it's very important. It's indispensable part of reconciliation. But for reconciliation, it's not enough to provide the legal grounds and Mm -hmm. probably we need to revise uh, education and introduce more historical information for social workers, for educators in order Mm -hmm. to support their critical reflection. Why for instance, education was not so perfect in terms of advancing Roma population, Why mm-hmm. the methods and uh, strategies uh, targeted with Roma families should be transformed in favour of more nuanced sensitive uh, approach to different dilemmas, such as uh, child being or child becoming, or yeah what is more important for parents to love their child or to be able to control <laughs> yeah. their child right, right. how, no, it, how to find this balance and i suppose historical <laughs> historical informed argument uh, for helping professionals should be a part of this reconciliation so it's very important
1: yeah i i and i, I you know i want to thank you again you and nadia for writing this book and and broadening the discussion you know, beyond these, um, um, let's say let's issues of say- trust, mm-hmm. inclusion, and exclusion, um, it is a question of of identity and and these larger questions that you bring to the fore. I think are so important, um, and I, I hope our readers uh, will follow this and, and pick up your book. Uh, we here at New Books Network and New Books in Eastern European Studies have been speaking with Victoria Schmidt together with Nadia Jaworski. They are the authors of Historicizing Roma in Central Europe Between Critical Whiteness and Epistemic Injustice, a book published by Routledge 2021. Vika, I want to congratulate you on the publication of this book and and bringing more discussions and, and hopefully more curiosity to all of us listening here. Thank you so much.
2: And thank you for this opportunity. It was great talk for me. Thank you.
1: And I'm your host here at New Books Network, Steven Siegel. Until next time.